Yes, Lord, what a powerful name it is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you, Lord, for every heart and mind in this place. And we pray, Lord, that your anointing, Lord, would touch every life. Father, we thank you for the word today, Lord, that we'd be open and ready, Father, for you to build us up and to encourage us, Lord, in revelation, in impartation, and in teaching, God. And we love you, God, and we honor you in this house. And everyone said, Amen. Awesome. All right. Well, get ready for the word. Take a seat. And uh, again, remind someone as you're sitting down, there's gourmet hot dogs after the service. Gourmet hot dogs. Hey, it's great to see you. We're always encouraging people that, uh, you know, what I love about God is God is serious, but he's also a whole bunch of fun. And God has a sense of humor. Who's ever realized that? Uh, God's not into religion, but he's into relationship. And what I love about the house of God is that it's about helping people to capture that realization and revelation that God is very balanced. There's times when he's serious, where he helps us to break through in areas of our life because he loves us and he doesn't want us to stay the same. But there's also times where he encourages us to, you know what, enjoy the moment and have a bit of a laugh because life is too short. Who believes that? And on the theme of life is too short sometimes, this new teaching series, we're going to do this for the next three Sundays. Uh, we've just had a last couple of Sundays being absolutely blessed by the ministry of Greg and Julie Bailey. Who's enjoyed the last two Sundays? Uh, both Sundays we had the altar full, uh, Holy Spirit moving, powerful word uh, from the Bible. So it's always an honor to have them here and they're here uh, today again. And I think next week you, you head off and ministering in other churches, and, but it's going to be great. Uh, seeing again as they uh, lead up to Dominion Conference, hearing about all the good works that God's doing through them. What's that? Pray for them next weekend. They are in Melbourne. (laughs) Yes, a little chile. All right. Well, uh, do we have those slides ready there? Cool. We'll put up the first one just to introduce the theme. Thank you, Amy. Everyone say 30 days to live. So this is part one of three parts and uh, really, I was reflecting on, you know, the fact that when it comes to uh, looking at Jesus as a great role model to study off and to, to learn from, this whole series is going to be framed around uh, really the last days of Jesus walking the earth before he goes to the cross. We know that the Bible teaches that he rose again on the third day. And he came back because he had to do some more instruction and more teaching before ascending to heaven and then releasing the power of the Holy Spirit to birth the church that we know that the New Testament is all about. Uh, But we're going to, over the next three Sundays, we're going to explore, we're going to investigate, we're going to discover, we're going to look into what were were some certain focuses that Jesus chose to focus on, decisions, areas that he was very deliberate about when he knew he only had 30 days to live before going to the cross. So when he was coming to the climax of his mission, when he was coming to the peak or the pinnacle of his purpose, we're going to look at what did he focus on because I think this is a great opportunity for us to look at the priorities of Jesus in his own heart, in his own life, and that we can use a mirror to reflect on our life and see, hey, Do we have a level of alignment? I believe after the next three Sundays that the Holy Spirit through this teaching is going to speak to us individually, but also corporately around, hey, have we got some things right now in our world where God would say, hey, I want to I want to engage with you more specifically to help you to be on fire again and to be aligned with me and to know that, yes, this walk sometimes with me can be tense, intense. It can be serious, but it also can be a whole bunch of fun if you're really living on purpose. Who believes that? Our mission of Forever House is to live with purpose. And so we're going to look at 30 days to live. You know, on a personal level, uh, a lot of you know my, my dad two seasons ago passed away from an aneurysm. He was on a train and uh, he just had a spectacular night under the stars uh, having a dinner on the, the, call the, the Garn train from Darwin to Alice Springs. And as he was getting back on the train and going to his cabin to, to rest for the evening, he had an aneurysm. And for those of you who don't know what an aneurysm is, it's kind of like, you know, an area, like a blood clear area in your brain that bursts. And the type of aneurysm that he had, literally it was lights out. He was alive one second, the next second he was completely gone. He was deceased and moved on into the spiritual realm. And obviously we believe that he's in in heaven with Jesus. Amen. And so... You know, if you look at something practical, an example where I've experienced my dad passing in just 
you know, the flick of a switch, so to speak. Uh, it, it really does put an extra sense of value and a sense of perspective on life. Uh, we, we got to celebrate a wedding on Friday. I think weddings are a great way to take a step back, breathe in and go, you know, what, what's life really about and what's really, what's really important in life? I think funerals do that as well. Uh, the birth of children do that. When we have key milestones in our life, they're great opportunities for us just to stop in the busyness of our world and go, hey, what really is the most important thing? And I think the same benefit can come from studying the last uh, month of Jesus's walk before going to the cross and looking at when he was reflecting on, look, what's the most important thing? As I come to the peak of my mission, what's most critical for me to focus on? And I think we can all learn from that. Who believes that? Good. All right. So we can all talk about living life to the fullest. Uh, We don't know when our last breath will be. And there's actually wisdom in that. It's not about being fearful and thinking, oh, when am I going to die? But there is wisdom the Bible teaches in actually acknowledging that you and I actually don't know when our last breath will be. Uh, The Bible says that we have an appointment with death, that there will be a time where you and I will pass from this world and will go into eternity. And what would the Bible actually say to you about that? Uh, The Bible actually encourages us to live every day like it was your last Again, not in fear, but in the wisdom of being looking at uh, the days that you have, the 24 hours a day, and looking at every moment and making life count, making it a precious focus. And I think not only about uh, living every day like it was your last, but chasing for your dreams and knowing that uh, you don't necessarily have the promise that you're going to have a tomorrow and then another tomorrow after that. One of the things that I encouraged Dan on at... uh, at his wedding, as I said, you know, what was great about seeing Dan pursue Holly, his dream girl, was that he dared to dream and that to love is to risk. And most great things in life that are worthwhile, there's a risk. Who knows that there's a sacrifice that you have to make. To really go after investing in your family, you have to sacrifice some things. To really going after that dream in the marketplace or whatever your calling is, you have to sacrifice some things. You have to put aside some things. And I think what we're going to realize is, is that over the next three Sundays, is that God wants to charge us supernaturally with a fresh sense of hitting the reset button around, hey, how are we going in really pursuing after everything that God has for us? And so live your life with purpose. Don't let life just happen. Uh, Go after it with conviction and go after it with meaning, uh, I think is going to be the flavor of the next three Sundays. What's interesting, if we go to the example of Jesus, is he knew when his death would come and he knew about the plan that the father had of him being resurrected on the third day, but he was very uh, knowledgeable about that his death was, was imminent. And, uh, you know, we, we know when we look at the scriptures, we're going to look at it in a minute, is it wasn't a myth. Um, the, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus wasn't a fable. There's numer- numerical, uh, numerous sorry, historical records to back that up and uh, that his resurrection was very, very public. And Jesus, we know, rose from the grave, just as he said he, said he would. And so I want to have a look at this first scripture here. I want, to, I want us to be intentionally focused. We can go to this next slide here, Matthew 20, 28. I want us to start this teaching series knowing that Jesus absolutely knew when he was going to go to the cross. He, he knew that his days were numbered. And the reason why we want to investigate this is because then it puts an exclamation mark on the fact that if he absolutely knew that his time was short, he only had 30 days to live, for example, the fact that he was so deliberate on what he focused on for the next 30 days puts a lot of emphasis on that, that we can learn from. So Matthew 20, 28, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He knew that he was going to actually be a sacrifice. And, you know, while some... People choose to, uh, I think sometimes people, you know, when we look at the movies and we look at, you know, the Easter stories, um, I think sometimes people choose wrongfully to believe that Jesus was finally caught by his enemies and he was taken by surprise, that he had no idea that Judas was going to give him the, 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 the kiss of, of death. It was going to kiss him on the cheek as a signal that this was the guy for the soldiers to take. Um, sometimes I think we wrongfully think, oh, that was all, all, all of a surprise and a mystery. Um, and then Jesus was killed before his time. And the truth is that his words that we're going to look at in a moment make it absolutely clear. Everyone say clear. Make it clear that Jesus knew exactly what was happening. 
and he freely laid down his life for us. And so from the earliest days of his public ministry, Jesus began to hint to the world that he would be murdered and he would rise from the grave. Let's have a look at this next scripture. In John 2, 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Everyone say hint. So he's starting to give some prophetic insight or hint as to what's to come. He referred a lot to the prophecies of the Old Testament when he was telling the people. So he knew what was going to be happening. Um, in fact, on, and obviously if we you know, understand this, destroy this temple, uh, we know that in the Old Testament there was a lot of times when the enemy came to destroy the, the works of God, the buildings of God, the temples of God. Uh, but he was talking about his actual body being the temple of the power of God and the reality of God that the temple would be destroyed, but uh, it would be raised again in three days. He was starting to hint. He was starting to educate the people, to prepare them, that, hey, I know exactly what's going to take place, and I need you to kind of buy into the understanding of what's going to take place because I need to prepare you for when eventually I do ascend to heaven permanently, and I need to empower you to take on and carry on this mission. But in fact, on three separate occasions, Jesus directly, directly predicted the crucifixion. So listen to these words uttered just over a week. In the Bible, this is just over a week before his death. Let's have a look at Matthew. So Matthew 20, 17 to 19. So let's dive into the scriptures now. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Now, who thinks that that's pretty specific? It's not like, hey, guys, just to let you know, in the next kind of 30 days, something bad's going to kind of happen, I think. So just kind of be, have your eyes and ears open, all right? That's very unspecific, right? Who knows that uh, God is into bringing specific instruction? And he wants us to have an understanding about the times and seasons. God is a very prophetic God. He wants his people to be prophetic. And so Jesus was really giving some strong cues and clues. I mean, beyond strong cues and clues, it was pretty mapped out, right? He was pretty much telling them word for word what was happening. Very specific. He used the third day, raised to life, that they were going to, you know, when, when we go up to Jerusalem, the Son of Man will be betrayed by Judas kissing him, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law will also come and they'll condemn him to death. I mean, it's very, very specific. And so Jesus understood exactly what was going to take place. Does this sound like, my question to you is, does this sound like a man who was surprised when they took him away? No. Jesus knew his days on this earth as man as we're numbered. And this is why he lived every day. This is the key point here as, as we introduce this. This is why he lived every day like it was his last. Because he knew exactly what was going to take place. Uh, I remember the first time we planted Forever House, as we were preparing for it, about, what was it, eight years now, uh, there was, a, there was a, a new TV show uh, I can't even remember the name of it now. It was something to do with Forward. But it was about this kind of a sci-fi TV show. It was like a pilot at the time. And it was like something, something uh, had hit the earth and had changed the, the magnetic field of the earth. And so the impact it was having on people is that people started having dreams and visions about uh, their future. And some people could see 30 days ahead. Some people could see a year ahead. Some people could even see more than five years ahead. And there was one particular central character, and he was like a detective and a private eye, and he was assigned to kind of, you know, who caused this, this thing to impact the earth, and what's the whole master plan here, and why is this all happening? But he also encountered the impact of being able to see in the future, specifically for the first time. And he actually saw about uh, two years into the future, and in the dream, he could specifically see the time that he was going to die and how he was going to die. And when a reporter in the TV show um, heard that this investigator had experienced this phenomena, the journalist said, so tell me, how has seeing when you're going to die, knowing specifically when you're going to die and how you're going to die, how has that impacted you? And he said, well, I can tell you it's very clear. 
He said, it's impacted me because I now am making choices deliberately on knowing what my timeline is, and I'm a lot more intentional, and I'm a lot more focused about what I need to achieve within the time that I have remaining. He says, it's absolutely made me focus, and it's absolutely filled me with a sense of strong purpose. And what I would encourage you in is this, is that you and I don't have to know specifically the day and the time or how we're going to die to catch this positive impact. What we need to do is just spend time with our God who's personally gone through this, who knows how to actually help you to be on mission. I don't believe that when you hang out with Jesus that he wants to show you the time and place that you're going to die because probably most of you, I don't know about you, but I probably don't know how I would handle that. So we know our God is prophetic, but he sometimes holds things back. He makes things still a mystery, so we have to rely and put our trust in God so we don't actually trust in our own understanding. Is everyone catching me here? But what I am telling you is if you worship Jesus and you follow Jesus and you spend time with Jesus relationally, this is a God that not only has died for you, but this is a God that 30 days before he went to the cross felt that, knew that specifically, and knew exactly what to do to become more intentional and purpose-driven so he could really max out the potential of his purpose. And I'm just telling you, when you hang out with God, that one of the, one of the benefits is God wants to sharpen you. He wants to help you to kind of maximize your potential. He wants to get you to, to focus. He wants to get you to be on point. He wants you to get uh, you in alignment with your purpose. And can I tell you this? If you've ever felt recently just a little bit lost, a bit confused, a bit kind of uh, not quite yourself, can I tell you, the best thing you can do is spend some quality time with God. Because one of the things that the residue of spending time with God is, is He will sharpen you and get you on focus because He's all about that Himself. Who believes that? I mean, hopefully we know this already, but I felt just to remind you again, there are direct benefits in making time with God, making time in His Word, spending time with Him. It is a transaction that takes place where it can sharpen. You will come out of the presence of God. You will come out of a a time in the Word of God. Well, you'll have a greater sense of understanding, okay, I, I know what I need to do. I know I need to go to work. I know I need to do well, be excellent. I'm representing an ambassador of Christ. I need to also love people. I need to listen more, talk less. Come on now. I need to text that friend who God's put on my heart because it's not all about me and what I'm doing, but I also need to make sure I'm, I'm considering others. Come on now. When you're in the flow of the Holy Spirit and when you're aligned to the Word of God, not religiously, but because you're actually connected to Jesus because you make time for Him, you become on point. You become on purpose. And can I tell you, it doesn't matter if you're called to business. It doesn't matter if you're called to to raising three kids at home, when you're in that flow, man, life is so much more fulfilling. It really is so much more fun and fulfilling. Yes, it's more intense and serious in a good way, but it's more fun because you don't have these doubts and frustrations flowing through your headspace and your heart going, what is this all for? Which sometimes we know can be some of the most decapitating, I was going to (laughs) say, debilitating, (laughs) debilitating uh, impact on our hearts. Who believes that? And today... What I want to now shift into is I want to, in part one, take a look at a few lasts, a few lasts in Jesus' life on earth as a man, knowing that he was going to the cross, knowing specifically what was about to happen in a month's time. Let's have a look at three of his lasts. Number one, so sorry, we're going to, yeah, 30 days to live, three lasts in the final days to the cross. What mattered to Jesus? Thank you, AV team. Let's now go to the first last. We're going to look at Jesus' last decision. Everyone say decision. His last decision was all about staying on mission. Everyone say stay on mission. All right, cool. So now, is anyone here okay with actually really looking at the Word of God specifically? We're okay with that? Good. All right, let's have a look at this first scripture here. We're going to start with Luke 22, and we're going from 41 to 42, and also we're going to look at verse 44. Now, let me just make a note. Uh, In June, which pretty much starts uh, soon, this coming week, uh, we're going to be launching Circles, our new ministry. And so for those uh, circle leaders who are going to be running small groups in their homes and cafes, you know, if you're running a circle that's uh, particularly uh, like a dinner party one or there's going to be a, a Bible study, then re- be reminded and be refreshed that it's important to take these notes so that you can actually share these and facilitate a good conversation when people actually want to get into more study around what we're looking at on a Sunday. Cool. So here we go. In Luke 22, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, 
So this is about Jesus making a decision to stay on mission. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So with these words, literally, the weight of the world was on his shoulders. But Jesus still chose to stay on mission. Have you ever felt like life is getting a little bit too hard and, and so you want to drop a couple of things? Can I just say, hey, if you're going to drop a couple of things, make sure you're dropping the things that aren't really aligned to your mission. I think the biggest mistake we can make as men and women of God is when life gets busy, we want to drop something, but sometimes we don't actually pray and ask God, what are the things that we should drop? I've seen people drop the wrong assignments during a time of pressure and actually it creates a setback for them. And then I've seen other people who've dropped the right assignments and offloaded the things that were good but not necessarily God, and man, the impact has been momentum and there's been a breakthrough. Let's just pray right now. Father, I thank you. Why don't you just close your eyes or get in position? I just want to feel to activate this point in our hearts. Lord, I pray right now in, as we approach winter where it gets busier, it gets harder, tax time, expectations at work lift, the boss gets a bit more narky. Whatever it is, God, this time of year becomes a cycle where the pressure starts to mount. Maybe there's tension at home. We've got the, the dance classes, the soccer lessons, all the things that start to, to, to build up on the timetable. Father, right now, I pray for a strengthening and I pray, Lord, for an ability, Father, for us to stay on mission, Lord. Father, I thank you, Lord, Lord, if you're causing us to maybe drop a couple of things to reprioritize, Lord, that we would have the wisdom to pray and ask you to guide us and to shed the light on the things that are good but not necessarily you and we'd have the wisdom, Lord, to protect and to keep on point with the things that are of you, God. I thank you, Lord, right now that you would strengthen everyone to stay on mission in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's obviously a practical application here to this, but I love the example here that Jesus sets. He could have checked out. Uh, he, he could have said it was too much. He did not have to go to the cross. Do you know that he, had, he actually had a choice? Uh, now, some of you may argue, well, he didn't really have a choice. Well, uh, he did have a choice. Because if you look at the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's obviously interlinked and a part of unity. There are three expressions of God, like we look at water, steam, and ice. They're actually all the same ingredient, but they're different expressions. So it's one God, but it's a holy trinity. But there is a relationship. There is actually a symbiosis uh, between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But when you think about the reality of how does God express love, God does not control. He does not force. He gives people a will. When Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth and became man, He actually, to, to, to be uh, without sin, He had to be given free will. The Bible says that He was clearly tempted. He did not fall into temptation and therefore was without sin. But in order for Him to, 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 be, to pass the ultimate test and to become the perfect sacrifice, He had to be someone who was tempted. He had to walk like a man is tempted by the flesh. But for you and I, the good news is, is that He was able to lean on the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, the dunamis power of God within Him, to actually deny the flesh and to always choose the Spirit. And so therefore, He was without sin. He was perfect and became the sacrifice that we know today. He was the perfect Lamb of God, right? We know that. That's what the gospel is all about. It's good news. But the reality is, is that he had a choice. He could have, when the devil tempted him and said, you know, throw yourself down, the angels will come. When he was going to the cross, he could have, he could have you know, made a choice. But we see here in these words, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. So who knows that he was probably in his own humanity wanting this cup to pass him by. But notice, he said, yet not my will. So he st stayed in alignment with the Spirit. He didn't lean into the selfish ambition of the flesh. And he said, yet not my will, but yours be done. So he was tempted to drop his assignment. He was tempted to drop the ball. He was tempted in the season, 30 days leading up to the cross. The pressure was mounting. The intensity was mounting. His capacity was being stretched. The pressure in his thinking, the sense of like, I just don't have enough room. I just don't have enough ability to do this. I want to just step back from this. I want to kind of just, just take a back seat here. I don't want to stay in that position of being forward-footed, of actually progressing towards my mission. Can I tell you, there are going to be times in your life when you're going to be tested the same way. In fact, I would say even right now in this season, you've already had something going on like that. 
And you may think it's not very important, but you know what? To God, it is important because He understands that challenge. And God is always about mobilizing His army to take territory. Can I tell you that God really cares about you individually, but also for your family taking territory? And it's not about overloading ourselves, because I think sometimes people swing the pendulum too far one way, and they're unwise and they do too much. But I think sometimes the, the, the reason why people are able to take the promises of God and take the land is because they understand and they navigate through the power of God and making sure they continually plug into God, is that at some point your capacity must be stretched where you feel uncomfortable. It's a testing time. But if you just hang on, then you will break through. You know, if you look at Greg and Julie, they're some of the best examples, and even in their teaching, where they will teach you individually, but corporately, even for your family, that some of the greatest battles will always come just before the breakthrough. And when the people actually uh, step down from their assignment just before the breakthrough, it can be the most unwise thing that you can do. I feel that the Holy Spirit right now is charging us with a new sense of revelation about understanding the dynamic of how God wants to take us from level to level, glory to glory. Uh, Greg was talking last Sunday about that, about God wants us to now you know, understand that as we walk out purpose, it's about continuing to pursue the call of God in our lives and not checking out on that, making sure that we're hungry enough to keep driving to the very end. I believe that if we look at the example of Jesus, that Jesus will give you the same strength, the same power when you're feeling grieved in your spirit, when you're feeling like you can't stretch anymore, I believe there are times when God says, I want you to hang on, but more importantly, I want you to plug into my son. I want you to plug into the power that my son has revealed to you in his word, that when he was going towards the cross, he wanted, in his, in his own strength, he wanted to, to kind of uh, say, look, I don't want to do this, but uh, not my will, but yours be done. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. Come on now. He prayed more earnestly to give him the strength, to give him the tenacity, to give him the perseverance, to drive forward, to see the purpose fulfilled on the cross. Can I tell you that you've got moments where you've got crosses in your life. You've got peaks where God wants you to make some sacrifices. Maybe, maybe there's something in your family. Maybe there's something right now in your marriage and you need to make some sacrifices, make some changes in the atmosphere of your home to drive forward to having a key breakthrough. And maybe there's going to be times when you have a bit of an argument and you think, well, uh, what's the point of this? I'm over this. And, I, and you want to slam the door. But I believe that God's saying to you, hang on, come on, hang on and keep pressing towards a purpose, whatever the mission is. If you're at university, there may be some subjects right now where you're finding them really boring and you're thinking, I didn't sign up for this. But God's saying, well, hang on now. Come on, this is a testing of capacity. Don't give up too soon. Have you prayed about it? And you may think, well, dying on the cross for the world is way more important than my university assignment or way more important than my marriage. Can I tell you? In God's eyes, your life counts. He died for it. He's actually birthed within you giftings and callings. There's a reason you may not think that your parents are perfect. Can I tell you this? If ever you found it difficult to honor your mom and dad, whether they're Christian or not, if ever you struggled with that, can I tell you this? That you've got to understand that there's a reason why God chose your mother and your father. Because there were certain giftings and parts of the DNA that God needed to be birthed within you because it was aligned to your purpose. For example, if you know that you've got a gift of the gab and you're called to communicate, there was something in your mother or father's bloodline that had the gift of the gab. So to get that wiring in you, God chose your parents. They may not be perfect, but you've got to sometimes understand that if it wasn't those two people, that you wouldn't have the giftings or the, or the, or the strengths within you that God is now using to anoint to position you for your assignment. So if you find it very hard to be thankful for your parents' character, then praise God for their giftings and their bloodline. I'm very blessed and lucky because my, well, my parents are past now, but my parents will have both gifting and great character. But then I didn't inherit directly from them, but thank goodness my grandchildren are. Obviously through my wife as well. Okay, so stay on mission. Everyone say stay on mission. He could have taken the easy road, but Jesus Christ made his last days count. You see, from the beginning, Jesus knew his mission. Let's have a look uh, at the next part of Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. This is Jesus' words in, in, in the book of Luke. Because he's anointed me. Now, he, he used this and referred to uh, some Old Testament scripture, but he was prophetically declaring, this is who I am and this is what I'm called to do. 
The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the U.S. spelling of favor. It's O-U-R in Australia. Amen. <laughs> That's my, wife, my wife's influence right there. And so if we underline a couple of things about this scripture, we'll leave this up here for a second, is Jesus has been anointed. What does that mean? Superimposed or saturated with the power of God to get things done. Do you know that you're anointed? If you call Jesus your God, you're anointed with his dunamis power. When he ascended to heaven, he asked the disciples and others to go to the upper room and to wait for the power of God to come upon them. So they were superimposed with the fingerprint and the heartbeat of God to actually do the work of the ministry and to birth the church. That same anointing is actually something that God wants you to run with. And that anointing will enable you to stay on mission. But he was anointed. He had 100% full of his purpose. Can I tell you that when you go to God and you say, God, I want you to fill me afresh, there's something in that refilling where God's pouring out fresh anointing and it gets you on purpose. Have you ever had a sliding door that's not properly lubricated and it's just like... Right? And then by the, by the time you finally get it to position, it actually doesn't click in because you probably got it off one of the tracks. Do you know life can feel like that sometimes? When you're tired in the things of God, when you're drained, when you're running on an oily rag, when you haven't spent time with God and you've justified it by saying, I'm too busy, life actually starts to feel like that. And that's why we need the oil of heaven, because it starts to lubricate the tracks of our life. So things, man, the doors that need to close can close easily and doors that need to open can open easily for us. Who believes that? So we stay on mission. Every part of Jesus in making this decision, when he prayed that prayer to the Father, is that his heartbeat, he decided within the last 30 days, I'm going to stay on mission. And the good thing about when we look here is the mission was not only about him being anointed, but it was about preaching good news. And so we know that it was specifically about not religion. It was specifically about, because uh, we know religion is bad news right? That you have to do all these things to earn the love of God. No, the good news is, is you actually don't have, you just have to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the good works on the cross that he's done is the key to helping you to have eternal life. Amen. That's good news, right? That's great news. So there is hope for you. So he was, he was on mission. He knew that if he went to the cross, man, it would bring an absolute return on investment for his father. It would bring an absolute breaking through for the things of God. And same with you. There, if you stay on mission, can I tell you, like we said before, the battle is always before the breakthrough. Be on mission. Stay on mission and you'll see the breakthrough. You may be in a mess, but you don't have to stay that way. God is really saying here, stay on mission. I love you just like you are, but I can help you to become better. And I want to teach you and I want to birth within you a spirit of perseverance. Let's have a look at this next scripture in John 3. We know this one. It's a favorite one. 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. For God did not, another way of saying that is, for God did not send his son into the world to inject religion into their spiritual veins. Where religious people look like they've been sucking on too many lemons. I mean, who recently has reflected on the fact that when you have God in your heart, it loosens your life up. It's like there's a flow that comes, right? It gives you a sense of humor. Something annoys you, you're able to let it go more quickly, right? And if you're not, it's probably teaching you that you probably need to spend some time with God. <laughs> For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. To save the world through him. So he, he was on mission. He wanted to stay on mission. In Isaiah 59.1, we won't go to that slide because I haven't got that in there. We'll just stay here. But behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. And so Jesus was on mission every day of his life, particularly the last 30 days. 
The last 30 days slid before the cross. He sharpened his focus. The last 30 days before your breakthrough. Come on now. The cross is the ultimate symbol of breakthrough. It, 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 it was the catalyst for breaking time in half. It was the catalyst that tore the veil in the temple of God that represented the separation between man and the presence of God in half. It was the catalyst for the very uh, building up to the release of the Holy Spirit to flood the earth so you and I could live a powerful life. Not a perfect life, but a powerful life in the things of God. It was the catalyst that you and I could have an eternal life beyond what we see here. So important. So Jesus was on mission. We know that in the last 30 days, whether physically healing the woman with a blood disease... He was on mission. He made it a priority. Or spiritually healing the demon-possessed man, he was on mission. Whether physically giving sight to the blind, he was on mission. Or opening the eyes of the spiritually blind, he was on mission. He never left his mission. He was on point. Now, what I love about the body of Christ is you and I are parts of, we represent different parts of Jesus. So again, it's about not being religious and think you have to do all of these things. We're going to do all the things and more than Jesus has done, but with unity. So there's things that you're called to. I think sometimes we try to do too many things. But can I tell you, this is why it's important for you to understand what's your mission? What are you called to do? What are your gifts? What are your callings? What's your anointing? Where are you in, in right now in this season? What's the priority? What's the focus? Hey, you know what? Right now what I'm preaching is not easy because it's about balance. But you're going to segment your life into different things. Have God in the center of the wheel and understand all of these things God is interested in. God is interested in your finances. He's interested in your family. He's interested in your calling. He's interested in what you do with your health and your your rest time. He's interested in obviously you investing in your personal relationship with Him. He's interested in your, your partnership with ministry in the house of God. He's interested in all of these things. So we're looking at Jesus as the example, staying on mission. You see, Jesus was actually quoting all of these words from Isaiah's words many hundreds of years before. He wanted them all to know that the year of God's favor was finally here. And, and even now, the year of God's favor is here. What I love about us in New Testament life is all the things that Jesus was on mission about is true for you right now. So... When it says in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the Gospels, whoever calls on the name of the Lord could be saved, the same is true right now. Maybe you're here and you're feeling broken and lost. The Bible says that that year of favor, that season of favor is upon you right now. If you call out the name of Jesus and you ask him to help you, you will be saved. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. The year of the Lord's favor was finally there and it is finally here today and all these wonderful things are happening and will continue to happen to us because jesus stayed on mission so he never ever left his mission decision number one before we move on to decision number two have you been tempted to leave your mission maybe your mission is being represented in your heart right now, maybe your family's coming to mind. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something practically that you're doing. Maybe it's even involvement in the things of God. Just make a note in your heart about appropriating this word and thinking, hey, have I invited God in like Jesus did when he was tempted to kind of walk away from the calling of the cross? Because the breakthrough always comes straight after the battle. Okay, let's have a look at decision number two. Are you still with me? Okay. So we looked at Jesus' last decision. In the last 30 days before the cross, we want to now look at Jesus' last sermon. And he preached this sermon to two kinds of people. He actually had two audiences that he preached his last message to. Are you interested in what his last message was about? Do you think it might be interesting and important? Do you think the two groups of people that he focused would give us some cues and clues? What I think we're going to find out here is that the two types of people that he preached his last message to, he actually identified that they're the two types of people who are examples of people not being on mission. So get this, his first decision was that he himself had to stay on mission. 
And then he wanted to birth that same thing in two types of people that he identified were actually not on mission. They were off track. And I think what's a great thing here to learn is that as we walk with Jesus, there are two ways that we can get off track. Or there are ways that we can actually not be on track. And so we're going to have a look at this. Anyone interested? Okay. So I still got your attention? Jesus' last sermon. So he had two groups following him most of the time. If you have a look at the, the Gospels, everyone say group one was the lost, the hungry, and the hurting. You don't have to say that. That's okay. But thank you for your commitment. It's awesome. The lost, the hungry, the hurting. He wanted to get them on mission. He wanted to get them uh, out of their place of being lost. And he wanted to introduce them to the shepherd and he wanted to see them birthed into the kingdom of God. So the lost, the hungry, the hurting was group one. Group two was the judgmental religious leaders. Everyone say, ooh. Everyone say, ah. He wanted to get them back on mission. And so his last message spoke to them both. Let's first of all look at the message that was directed to the religious leaders. So we're going to actually break up his sermon and look at which parts spoke to which group. So first of all, we're going to look at what he was saying to the religious leaders. Okay, let's have a look at these scriptures. In Matthew 23, 4, we'll start there. They tie up heavy loads. So he was kind of being a bit cryptic here, but he was wanting this to come through. Hey, people out there who are listening to this, if you fall into this category, I'm speaking to you. This is what he was saying. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. So what happens is, is he was saying, now get this, this is in his last 30 days. This is important. He wanted to say before he went to the cross, I want to send a message to people who are getting off track, where they're putting all the emphasis on the works to earn God's favor and love, but it's become religious. And they, they put all, all these things that people have to do, or even what they have to do on men's shoulders, but yet they're not willing to lift a finger to move them. So it's all about wearing masks. It's all about the facade of being a godly person. And he was really speaking to people who were at that place. Because he was saying, you know what, in these, in these final days before the cross, I really need to challenge you because you're off track, but you don't even realize it. Now, who thinks that that's kind of intense? Well, guess what? That was kind of like the beginning of the sermon. He actually went to more levels of intensity. Is everyone ready? Just turn to the person next to you and say, let's put the seatbelt on. Okay, let's have a look at the next scripture here. Matthew 23, 25, 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Ouch. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, exclamation mark. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. I love it. I love it. Because, man, can I tell you? <laughs> Do you know how some people think that Jesus got his reputation as being a make love, not war kind of hippie guy? That's so not true. He was, he was a revolutionary rebel. He took it to those, those old cruddy religious people. And that, I'm not saying old necessarily in age. I'm talking about old in terms of spirit. There was nothing fresh about them. And he was on point. He was like, before I get to the cross, I really need to shake up these people because they are so lost they're so off track but yet they're completely blind to it they think they're ticking all the right boxes and they're ticking all the right boxes but on the completely the wrong page next scripture this is my favorite matthew 23 4 they tie up heavy oh no next scripture going forward unless that's re repeated for some reason yep next one Unless it's 
There we go. Is that the right one? No, that's... Uh, okay, we'll, we'll just go back. For some reason, it's not there. We'll just go back before we got onto that one. Go back one. To the old one that's repeated. Cool, thank you. I'll read this one. Uh, all right, cool. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land. So this is not the one up there, but this is the one I want to read. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much as much a son of hell as you are. What is it saying? Let's, let's reveal what the, Jesus is saying. The religious person, right, does a big, massive public song or dance about how they effectively reach out to someone, right, and to convert them. But what they convert and reproduce in them actually is nothing that resembles heaven, but it actually resembles hell because they're birthing and reproducing that religious, self-righteous thing in that person, and they're actually putting chains around them. So let's go back to the purpose of this whole series This is something that Jesus intentionally and deliberately wanted to send a message to. He wanted to shake up people who had been doing the godly thing for years and thought that they were ticking all the right boxes. And he wanted to bring a fresh injection and just shake it all up. Why? Because he hated them? No, because he actually loved them. But they were so off track that he had to bring such an intense conviction to shake the very foundation underneath them. To say, if you don't wake up and smell the roses, you're going you're gonna to lose. You're going to lose everything that you think you're gaining because you're not in position. You're not in the right place. You are religious and you're not real. What was he saying here? He was basically saying, people, you need to get real. And so, I love this. Jesus kind of in this moment was bad to the bone in a good way. Right? He was a rebel. He was rugged, strong, in your face. C.S. Lewis was right when he said Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or a lord. Which basically means we can't have this concept of Jesus was just this nice, sweet, spirited guy. Just loved people. Of course he loved people, but he also had to love people with some tough love. Because if he just loved people with the other kind of pat the lamb by the river love... It won't, it's not going to shake up the dry, solid rock of their heart. Come on, you hear what I'm saying? He had to kind of do a bit of a, what do we call it? What do we call it? What, what's this? He had to jackhammer some people with his words. Right? He cannot be this nice little guy all the time. And he proved it in his last sermon on earth before he went to the cross. But he also spoke a message to those who were hurting, the spiritually empty, the seekers. He continued to them that he was going away, but that he would come again. Okay, let's have a look at Matthew 24, 36 to 44. So we've got this on two slides now. So this was now to the second group, the people who were hurting, the people who were broken, the people who were lost. And he said this in this sermon, But on that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the, that, till the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So before we go to the next slide, he was saying to the people who are lost, be prepared and be awakened to the reality that God not only is in your midst, but God will come back one day and be prepared. Because you won't know it when it is, but be prepared by getting your life right with God. Let's have a look at the next slide. Then two men will be in the fields. This is the continuation, speaking to the lost. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He's talking about that he's going to come again. He's going to die. He's going to rise again. And he's going to come again 
the second coming of Christ. And so it's saying, it was challenging the people who were lost to connect with God and be prepared and ready and to be mindful that there is a second coming. And so it also there hints at the death or the rapture. And that's a whole other sermon that we can go into. But it's about there are times when, when the second coming of Christ comes and the rapture where people will actually be taken into heaven. Really cool stuff. We might explore that in another series. But that's the second decision that he made. He made a decision to preach his last sermon, to focus on these two groups because he wanted to have an impact. He wanted to rescue their souls. He had a religious hypocrite and he wanted to re- rescue their soul. But he had the lost and the hurting and he wanted to rescue their soul and say the kingdom of God counts. Let's have a look at the third and final decision that he made. Next slide. Let's have a look at this. Number three is Jesus' last emotion. The Bible says that he wept over us. And the beginning of Jesus' last week, he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and he poured out his emotions for his children. The Bible only records two places. Everyone say two. Two places where Jesus actually wept. The first is when his friend Lazarus died. The Bible says he wept. The second is when he comes into Jerusalem and he's on, he's on a mission. To, he's heading into Jerusalem because he's going to be betrayed and he's going to go to the cross. So it's the final chapters now. And as he comes into Jerusalem, he laments at the lost condition of his people. He can see these people are lost. They're broken. And in Matthew 23, 37, let's have a look at this. Oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. And so he's saying this with emotion. Literally, just, you know, that gut-wrenching kind of sense of, of weeping. Uh, it was really like a sense of mourning, the Bible declares. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. He was so desperate to, to want to help people and to reach out, but there was such a, 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 an arm's length kind of wall that pe- he could sense the atmosphere in people's hearts, not wanting to actually receive the goodness of God. And so he wept about it. And when much of religion seems to cry out to the sinful generation in hateful speech, Jesus always cried out to the lost and hurting in love. Let's have a look at this next scripture, Matthew 9, 36. I'm going to ask some of the musos to come. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion. Everyone say compassion. And if you look at this scripture here, he was really sensing that these sheep don't know where to go and that they'll wander to their own death if not led by a shepherd. His heartbeat was, was to see that these people would find God, would find the reality of the shepherd's heart, that protective, nurturing heart. And I think when, when you look at the condition of people's hearts today, I think a lot of people's hearts are disappointed, that they feel mistreated, they feel disillusioned, they feel confused. Well, all those words right there describe the very feeling that Jesus could sense about these people in Jerusalem. That they were lost, they were hurting, they were mistreated, they were disillusioned, they were absolutely filled with disappointment. They had a lack of direction. And as we come to a close, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to consider these three decisions. Let's have a look at this final slide. That Jesus' last decision was to stay on mission. Maybe this message here today, that's the particular part for you. That you've been tempted to kind of pull out of something that you know God's calling you to. Maybe you're tempted to kind of drop a commitment that you know that God would say, hey, I gave you this to commit to because I want this and I want you to see it through because it will birth capacity in you. For the Spirit of the Lord is saying, hold on, because the battle always comes before the breakthrough. And if you're battling the battle, then plug into me afresh. Come to me and I will strengthen you. The second one, maybe that resonates with you, that Jesus' last sermon, these two groups, maybe privately here today, you've got into a little bit of a religious mode and you feel like you're just focusing on ticking the boxes spiritually, but you've gotten off track and you're not really actually plugging into to the reality of God, that your relationship with God has dwindled and you're just trying to hold it together with a shoestring of religion. 
what God would say to you today, hey, if that's you, I love you so much to say, let go of that shoestring of religion and reach out to me. Let's hang out. Let's spend quality time. Let me refresh you. Let me remind you how wonderful and loving of a God I am. Or maybe you're that second group where you're hurting, you're lost, you're broken. You, you feel confused. You feel like there's a lack of direction. Well, God would cry out to you and say, you know what? I love you. I went to the cross for you. Reach out to me. Bring, invite me into your life. I want to give you guidance. I want to give you direction. I want to show you who you are. I want to show you what I'd planned in when I formed you in your mother's womb, that I gave you giftings and callings, that I've, I've got an anointing for you to set your life apart. Or maybe this Thursday one where today you, want, you wanted to somehow be reminded or to know that, that God actually has an emotional connection to you. That no, not only did he go to the cross, but he chose to die because he absolutely weeps for the lost. He's desperate for people to respond to his goodness, to his grace, to his mercy. I think it's so important for you to first know how much God cares about you because then it, 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 it shatters the walls and it gives you permission to be okay, to be vulnerable, to let God in. So wherever you're at today, I want you to make a decision like Jesus made these three decisions. Make a decision today to respond to his word in your heart. Respond to it. Don't let it just tickle your ear, but respond. Make a decision. What are you going to fine-tune? What are you going to change? Are there some decisions you have to make? Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word today. Lord, let it be a word that's impacting. Let it penetrate people's hearts. I thank you for your presence here today, Holy Spirit, that you're here with us. Lord, I thank you that you love every individual here. I hear the Spirit of the Lord say there are some people here and He's inviting you to give your heart, to give your life to Him. So I'm going to say a short prayer and if you know that's you or maybe you feel you need to rededicate your heart, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, today, I'm going to actually ask everyone to participate in this prayer. Let's start again. Dear Jesus, today, I recognize in your word, in your truth, that you are God and that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again on the third day. And today, I give my life to you and I invite you to come into my life. Make me brand new. Forgive me of all my sin. Make me a new creation. Take all of my sin Take all of my guilt. Take all of my shame. Take all of my disappointment. Take all of my setbacks. And position me into a place of victory right now in Jesus' name. Fill me today with your power, with your Holy Spirit, and make me born again into the kingdom of God in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Let's give God some praise. What we're going to do right now is we're going to close the service. We're going to open up the cafe doors so we can spend some quality time together. Hey, if there's something in the message today that resonated with you, I want to encourage you, maybe share that with someone that you're having lunch with today. Our church doesn't have to stop right here, but as we have food, we can talk about God. We can talk about our lives be connected. But what I want to do is before I close the service, I want to let you know that we're going to open up the altar here. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or you rededicated your heart, I want to encourage you to come to the front. We'd like to pray with you, connect with you. But also if there's anyone here and you want prayer for anything, maybe you need healing in your body. Maybe there's something at the workplace that's really stressing you out. We believe in the power of prayer. And the Bible says to lay hands on people. And there's a transfer of the power of God and the anointing. And we want to give an opportunity for you to experience that today if that's something that you need. So don't, don't hold back. Don't hesitate to come. It's a great way to respond to the word today. So I'm going to encourage you to do that. But we're now going to close the service. Thank you, AV team. Let's again give some praise to God for His Word today.